Hi, I'm Michelle Bangert, Managing Editor of Quality. I'm here today with Brandon Ribick. He's the Technology Director of America Makes. So Brandon, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So your recent article for Quality talks about the importance of alloy development. Um, so for people who haven't seen it yet, could you give us a little more background about the state of alloy development for Additive? Yeah, so we're coming into kind of... Um, what folks are now referring to is like a like a third generation of materials. And, and what that really means is if you look back over the recent history, so the last eight years of the AM supply chain, we've gone through the first generation. And what that is, is we're taking materials that are readily and commercially available um, that have been made by casting or forging um, and trying to understand how those materials can be readily integrated into additive manufacturing processes. We've understood um, how we can effectively utilize those materials. And that kind of led to the second generation where for one reason or another, we decided that we needed to modify a physical attribute of that material. In some cases, it may actually be the chemical composition. And so in order to effectively be able to derive the performance and quality that we needed these materials, we've made some kind of change. And folks are referring to that as the second generation. The third generation is completely unknown novel solutions where we're developing, you know, not explored before chemistries or not commercially available uh, formulations of, of metallic systems in order to derive step change in product performance or manufacturing capability. And so that's kind of where we are today. And, um, you know, the idea behind that is one, I mean, scientifically, it's really exciting, right? It's very intriguing. Mm -hmm. But two, um, the perception that we've gathered through our various conversations with folks in the supply chain is that it's really the intent is to derive product specific performance improvement. So that could be the temperature at which these products are being used, uh, the performance in terms of say the durability, uh, that is how long it can be maintained in service effectively, uh, which can really alter uh, the total life cycle costs of some of these systems. Um, not just in how efficiently they operate, because thinking about thermodynamic efficiency, you know, the hotter we run the system, we may be able to have better operational efficiency or more effective fuel consumption. Um, but then also the number of times that we have to stop a system and take it out of service and, and uh, evaluate parts or service parts or repair parts or place them, there's quite a bit of cost involved in that as well. So if we can improve the intrinsic material behaviors, along with deriving step change and the geometry and the designs that we leverage by AM technology, we're really providing a big step uh, improvement in terms of the things that we can provide uh, these large system integrators or, or these companies that build uh, different types of products that can leverage AM technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds good. There's a lot going on and a lot of exciting stuff, like you said. Um, in the article, you talked about six different areas for investment. Um, is there one that you thought was especially important or it seems like the biggest priority these days? 
I think the biggest priority, in fact, I just just spent about an hour this morning already talking to a team of folks about this, uh. is our ability to afford those in the scientific community the opportunity to take novel solutions, that is um, relatively unknown formulations, right? Chemical compositions, material systems, and, and get them to a scale where we're really beginning to not only understand our ability to effectively make these materials in a form that can be used in AM processes, um, but understanding the manufacturing and technological and economic challenges we will face in order to produce these materials at a scale that lends us to an ability to understand how effective uh, at an industrial relevant level, we can do this. So it's, it's, it's a really unique marriage between the two. And, and what I mean by that is the decisions we make in terms of the chemical composition can have not only benefits, right, that I talked about, but there are unintentional or maybe even unforeseen consequences that can present manufacturing challenges or uh, productivity challenges or even part level performance challenges that can be very difficult to account for until we get to that step in maturing the solution or the technology. And so the goal really is how do we do that at scale, right? That we can all begin to really get a good feel for it, but then also create the environment uh, within the US to afford the domestic supply chain to do that. So that, that gap right now, we realize we can be doing a lot better at that. Um, but truth be told, there are a number of things that we need to gain deeper understanding there in order to make it work for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of all this, we not only want to be able to make the materials we need and to deliver them to the organizations or entities that will use them, but we need to be able to do that effectively, not only from a manufacturing and productivity perspective, but also from an economic perspective as well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, so I know. If there's a lot going on, but is there anything you would tell manufacturers that they can expect in the next few years or keep an eye out for or just something to sure. be ready for? Yeah, I think I think the great thing that we're really happy to share with people is that we are all recognizing the opportunity. And, and when I say all, we've been discussing with folks in the supply chain uh, for the better part of the last two years about this topic. And, and that includes folks in industry, academia, within the government. And the great thing is, is that we're all really kind of coming to understand different aspects of the challenge. It's a big challenge. It's not going to be easy to solve. But I think the important thing for us to realize is there is a community of people who want to get together and figure out how we can begin to promote action and outcomes that will help all of us. And I think the great thing is, is that there is a very strong willingness to collaboration, uh, which I think in many ways will help us to do it quickly. 
um, and effectively, right? We will, will not only benefit by leveraging others' talents to complement things we don't know about, but those talents and perspectives will also benefit delivering a more robust solution by deriving um, diversity in our perspective of the solutions we deliver. And so I think that part about it is incredibly exciting. The other piece I, I want to make folks aware of, aside from you know, the current state of the supply chain or the manufacturing base um, in our philosophy, is the fact that we are really close to starting to take action. So it's it's important that um, we're not just talking, right? It, it, we, there is a strong belief it is time to start doing. And so I'm happy to share, as we, we have shared um, in some of our America Makes hosted forum, is that America Makes is getting ready very soon in the next few months to start to share opportunities of how we could start to execute research and development to scale solutions um, that we know are out there and they're, you know, uh, hypothetically, or if you want to think of an analogy, there are great solutions that are sitting there waiting to be scaled, as we say, sometimes sitting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so we want to afford people the opportunity to start to address the challenges that we know we will all face because of our historical experience, as well as the information we've gleaned from others, to start to overcome those challenges or to be able to effectively demonstrate the utility and validity uh, that these approaches present. Um, and we're really excited that we're going to likely be starting that in the fall. Um, but like I said, the opportunity is scheduled uh, to be made available to the public in the next few months. That's great. Yeah, there's exciting, a lot of new stuff and always good to be kind of moving forward and getting things ready for people to actually use and take them off the shelf, I can't say. So that sounds good. Yeah. Um, I noticed in your bio, you had a interesting example with a Rolls-Royce project. Um, I think our, reader, our listeners might be interested in hearing more about um, a real-life additive project. Could you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So I was really fortunate. Um, this is probably seven years ago or so. Um, I was a part of a, a team of individuals who had uh, developed a repair technology uh, for gas turbine engine um, turbine blades. Um, and so kind of my, my role there as a, uh, a materials engineer or an additive manufacturing engineer or a material specialist, there's a couple different flavors of hats that I wore a part of the team, was working on the, the process development um, for the repair of, uh, of those parts. And uh, the team I worked with, we developed a laser powder-fed directed energy deposition uh, repair technology. And we, uh, we worked for a few years on developing that and understanding uh, the performance and repeatability. Uh, a lot of the topics that we actually talk about with AM technologies today. Um, and then once we were able to effectively demonstrate that in a manner uh, that was in line with our customers' expectations and the expectations of the uh, the design uh, community that we were working with. Um, we we were able to you know effectively productionize that as well. And so, 
I'm trying to remember the year that we 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 shared a lot of this. We I was allowed to do a presentation at the Defense Manufacturing Conference one year. It might have been in 2015. Um, but that being said, around that time uh, was the time that we were doing these things, and we we shared a lot of this with the defense community in that time and how we were excited and how we intended to uh, demonstrate the validity uh, as well as of course the performance um, and that we understood uh, the factors that went into, you know, in ensuring that it would behave as intended. And, you know, it was a very exciting time in my life. Uh, I was really, I really consider myself very fortunate and lucky to have been a part of that team. And I was really happy to, work with the people I did and and I still keep in touch with a, a number of them, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it's exciting. It's exciting to see how we can bring together the unique aspects of additive manufacturing um, to, to solve a challenging problem. And, and thanks to those unique features, come up with solutions that, that make uh, you know, you know, of course, it, it provides a competitive advantage, but regardless, you're overcoming a very challenging um, technologically, you know, based issue. And so it was fun to be a part of that. And, um, you know, now uh, I get to work on a lot more things than just gas turbine engine repair. Um, and so, you know, the things I've been a part of at the team at America Makes, I would say, have been equally uh, thrilling, you know, getting to know more about how others understand additive and see the value of the technology as it pertains to things like electronics or medical devices and um, space propulsion applications, uh, as well as aviation and other transportation applications has been equally exciting. I mean, and I think Another thing that we're starting to get into nowadays uh, more so is not only what are the attributes of additive manufacturing technology that make it beneficial for a single application, but what are the conditions pertaining to, you know, the uh, operational circumstances that are surround a manufacturing value chain and when we would choose to use additive as a means of sourcing or acquiring products, um, that's another unique scenario um, that I think we're going to see more of in the next two to three years as well. So, you know, almost like a, if you want to call it parts on demand or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's already been some uh, good discussion in the last year within the oil and gas community. Um you know, Shell announced their consortium and uh, that they want to start thinking more about how to do spares on demand and digital stockpile parts. And it's it's those kinds of mindsets and working models that many folks are looking at and asking themselves the question, what other ways can we be using additive? And not only that, when and where, but when should and when should not we be thinking about additive? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting to see how, um, you know, granted, I think, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, most of the early applications of additive beyond rapid prototyping um, were in aviation, right, in aerospace, where we were trying to make parts. Um, and I think there's a lot of successful examples. But now we're starting to think of 
you know, how, how do we really serve these new markets where high mix, low volume, uh, some of the challenges with, uh, you know, non-recurring costs make it very laborious in order for additive to succeed. And so there's a lot of that right now going on. And so it's exciting. It's wonderful to see how the technology is maturing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to ask you what other projects you're working on with America Makes, but you kind of touched on that. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask about was standards. I know you're working on those as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your work on that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, maybe I, maybe I sound repetitive, but I'm really lucky to uh, be a part of um, a collaboration with a number of organizations. So uh, enough, uh, you know, most of the standards development organizations are members of America Makes. So America Makes, uh, you know, in order to be that partner, we're we're not making standards, we're not delivering the standards. We're we're absolutely a part of the journey as a as a collaborative partner. Um, and and one of the primary roles that we serve is a collaboration with the uh, American National Standards Institute, ANSI. Um, it, it's it's something that I'm very happy to co-lead. Uh, with the team at ANSI, and it's called the Additive Manufacturing Standards uh, Standardization Collaborative, or AMSC for short. Mm -hmm. What that is, is we pull together uh, the, the U.S. Um, AM supply chain in order to understand the gaps and opportunities for new standards. And then we try to provide a, a common... Uh, if you want to call it a data model or a way of relating all these standards to the various uh, pieces of the workflow to make an additive part or the value chain so that we're using common terminology in order to describe the things we're thinking about. But also it allows us to be uh, expedient and moving out on addressing these needs. And so the, the roadmap um, we're actually right in the process now of finalizing the third version. Um, and I think the plan is that we'll be publishing that in about the next month or so. Uh, mm -hmm. So folks should be on the lookout for that. But this document, it details um, across the value chain, where do we need uh, standards, right? Where, if we were to make a standard, what, what what should that standard be? And, you know, which one should we maybe make first, right? So we try to not only list all the things we would like to see, but then also try to prioritize that. I think an, a really interesting thing about it this time around, and it, it really talks to uh, the maturation of AM technology is that the team took on a challenge of trying to develop specific qualification needs by certain industry sectors uh, this time around. And I thought that was a, a, a brilliant approach to thinking about things because a lot of what we're hearing is that we need to scale and right-size solutions for certain markets, right? That an aerospace application may require uh, a certain degree of detail that uh, maybe a lower criticality uh, or a lower risk application may not. Um, and so making sure that we're delivering right size solutions based upon those market needs, that's really the, the spirit that the team wanted to kind of take on and address this time around. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to what they come up with, and I'm, I'm happy we're going to be sharing it with everyone soon. And then that really gets utilized in a couple of ways, right? One, it tells people who may not know what's out there and what's been done. 
Um, but two, it helps the standards development organizations to structure and prioritize their activity. And, you know, in the last few years, I've, I've really come to better understand how folks are using this document. And it's, it, you know, it's very flattering for me and humbling, um, you know, to see how, it, how it's actually playing a very important role in uh, standards development. Yeah, it's definitely an important area you hear a lot more about. And um, I know, you know, a few years ago, people would say like, oh, I didn't even realize there were any and, you know, there were 70 in the works or something. So it's kind of behind the scenes for some people, but very important. Yes. Good. Um, okay, so I think those are the main questions I wanted to touch on with you. But is there anything you'd like to add about your work? Sure. So just to go back to the topic of... Um, alloy development and i and i think there's there's two other things i think we really are very important that we keep in mind right and i the reason i want to bring them up is because actually they have much more far-reaching impact than alloy development uh that they they're going to play a very key role in the industrialization of additive manufacturing technologies for the next well probably for the foreseeable future to be honest with you as we begin to gain a deeper understanding of how we can leverage AM to meet the needs of our customers. We really need to be sure that we're keeping people in mind. And you know, we we recognize that very early on in this activity. Um, and we continue to hear that input from people across various application domains or various technology maturation discussions that we're having uh, with the domestic supply chain. And, and we, we recognize that education and workforce development is gonna be very, very important to all of our success going forward. Um, it, it's not just the fact that we need people to be really, really smart. It's that we need people with the right skills so that we can effectively leverage their talents when and where needed, right? And and so that being said, that's also turning into how do we challenge ourselves as engineers and technologists and thought leaders of not making this really hard as we as we get to industrializing uh, the technology expansively. That feeds right into the other piece of um, you know what I was sharing with you about alloy development in the article, and that's data sharing. And that comes in various forms. So um, you know, over the last uh, three or four years, I've been really lucky to be a part of this conversation around additive manufacturing technology data management. And that is making it so that the things we learn and the things we believe we know we can readily share them, but then not only that, the context in which we're making our observations. So that is, we understand not only the outcome, but all of the surrounding conditions that we took into account as we made decisions about how to interpret that outcome. And that also allows us an ability to share our learning. And, and some people may call that transferring learning to different application spaces. Um, to meet different needs. And it allows us to be effective with uh, public investment. And it's really, really important. And, and as these technologies are scaling, we're starting to hear more from folks of how do I get access to data that exists? But the other piece of that is even if we had access, how do we bring trust 
to that conversation. And that is very, very difficult to do. But kind of our philosophy and belief is we have to put our cards on the table. We have to be as transparent as possible. And data management and data sharing, those go hand in hand, right? It, it, that is, people will agree with me or disagree, um, but I need to provide all the context as to why I believe something about what I observed is important so that others have the opportunity to appreciate that perspective. And that's really at the heart of good data management. It, it, it not only promotes, you know, of course, I know where this part came from and it's traceable and we have the foundational evidence to back my uh, assessment and that it's valid and that these products are safe. Of course, we need to do it for that reason. But also as we develop new technologies, we will accelerate their development by making uh, open uh, op an opportunity for open assessment to those who have a right to see the data so that we can build confidence and trust within our understanding of the technology so we can accelerate it faster. And that's that's really what we're talking about whenever we say data sharing, right? We, we mean good data management and that it's being it's being made available in a reusable manner for those who can benefit from it and those who have a right to access it in a secure manner. Yeah, that sounds good, definitely. I agree, those two points, the education, the workforce development, data sharing. Uh, like you said, the materials are one thing, but if you're not thinking big picture like this, that kind of limits it, so it makes sense. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we had for today, but um, thank you again. And um, we appreciate you sharing all your insights. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Take care.